Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor in Focus podcast, where we will be discussing whether advisors should go beyond the call of duty and offer services outside of financial advice. More and more advisors are actively engaged in financial education or offer additional services such as access to DIY investing. But what are their motivations? And how does offering these services make business sense? Or is it even fraught with risk? With me here to discuss this today are Christopher Morris, Deputy Head of Financial Planning at the Chartered Institute for Securities and Investment, Craig Palfrey, Managing Director of Penguin Wealth, who runs a regular podcast and has written some books, and Warren Shute, Managing Director of Lexington Wealth, who is also a published author. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Afternoon, Carmen. Hi, thanks for being here today. Um, Warren, let's start with you. You've published a book, you're doing some podcasts. Um, you're offering a string of educational services yeah. um, and regularly writing newspapers. What's your motivation? John, I feel very grateful and very privileged um, the type of work that we do. Um, we work with some wonderful people, and typically our clients are fairly wealthy and affluent. And um, it wasn't always that way. And I think that there are thousands of people out there who need to see a good financial planner but possibly don't have the confidence or feel they don't have enough money to do so. So I kind of felt that it was my duty, if I'm honest, to sort of give back. Um, and this started principally around the financial planning week. That's something that CISI um, operate. But it developed a bit more into that. So I developed, I wrote the book called The Money Plan. And The Money Plan kind of created a bit of identity by itself. And I got lots of people from companies to groups of individuals wanting to know more about it. So I would go in and do presentations about it. And on the back of that, we developed a podcast. So it's not really like a marketing angle. It's more of a, it came from a position of wanting to better give more back. And we're all professionals, right? We're in a profession here. It's about raising the standards and giving people the information and the appearance of what they expect as a professional financial planner. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's uh, so that's sounds really good. You're doing quite a lot. Um, but um, Chris, I not Chris, Craig, I remember, I think, years ago when you launched your podcast. Um, I mean, how is this going? How has this evolved? And what else are you doing? Um the podcast was, was going really, really well until, uh, yeah, we, we lost the person who was editing about two months ago and we haven't started it again. But I was listening to a guy in the States called uh, John Rulin, who's wrote a fabulous book called Giftology. Um, and I happened at the conference I was at, I happened to grab him for a beer afterwards. And I just said to him, this whole gifting thing you talk about in your book, I get it, but I can't see how it could work in the UK to try and help more people understand the good that we do. I said, what would you do if you were me? And he said, I'd start a podcast. He said, you know, start get interviewing other business owners and as you're interviewing them and helping them share, share their message with other business owners in, in your space and out of your space, by default, you'll be educating them on what you do because they will go and check you out. And then hopefully they'll take something from you, ask us or ask someone else and, and take some advice. So it kind of spanned from there, really. But echoing everything Warren said, for me, when in my first business, um, I was lucky enough to be in a business where they, I'm going back 18 years or so, they wrote to the newspapers every week. They had a little answer and question section. Um, and then we sent out fact sheets as a follow-up. But we also did public education seminars. And I think the presenting the seminars and enjoying them as I did back then, I think that was what um, awoke the beast in me to try and give more back from day one and just thought, you know, if we can just educate, 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 we can help more people make smarter financial decisions. And, um, you know, I, I think financial planning obviously is wonderful because I'm in it, but I, I, there are times when people just need a bit of financial advice and we're still happy to deliver that where necessary. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is there anything that either of you have come across that um, your colleagues, your peers are doing that you think is really kind of innovative um, and, and interesting and effective? I think it's quite in its infancy, if I'm honest. And it's a really exciting time for people who are sat there listening to this thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's saturated. Maybe there's lots of people out there, lots of experts speaking. But um, there are more people offering financial podcasts who are not qualified and regulated than there probably are and i think this is a great space for people listening thinking it's an opportunity for me to um give my voice and to say what i i talk about and when you start you're probably sat on the sidelines thinking no one wants to hear what i have to say or what should i talk about and really it's just a case of talking about what you talk about with your clients so quite often i'll do a podcast and i'll talk about a client meeting or scenario what i had and i'll tinker it or tailor it slightly so it appeals to the audience but i don't necessarily sit down and think of fresh content it's whatever's happening live in the news or whatever i've come across that week i, I think carmen that I'd, I'd have to tip my hat to pete matthew and andy hart i think they're doing wonderful things in the space with the, the free education they're giving away and you know I've always, I always listen to their stuff and I've always admired what they do. We've tried to do that in our own little way down here. I agree with Warren when there's something topical that happens with a client or is in the news. I'll just quickly, that night, sat in front of Love Island or Emmerdale or wherever it might be, I'll quickly write a little two-minute video. Um, uh, the wife loves it, Warren. Um, so I see you end up watching it. So I'll write a two, three-minute video and then record it the next day. And then my team will just, I don't know how to use this stuff generally, but my team then will just share it with clients and then... I believe that if you've created something for your own clients, why on earth wouldn't you just share it with anyone else who wants to watch it? Um, and that's kind of how, how we've done it. Absolutely. Um, Chris, how, how do you feel about, how does the CISI feel about advisors doing these kind of things? Do you want to see more of it? Or do you, do you think, you know, advisors should be given these kind of extra services for free most of the time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as Warren mentioned, you know, um, it is a profession um, and there is almost a bit of a moral um, duty and obligation to give back. Um, you know, I think a lot of the clients that firms work with are, you know, um, you know, wealthy individuals. So I think there's a sort of a moral obligation. But j just picking up on what Craig said there, um, really like that, how videos don't have to be flash and expensive. You know, I think there's a misconception that videos have to be polished and expensive and, and all the rest of it and scripted. You know, it could be a case of, you know, three, four, five minutes in front of your iPhone on a particularly topical issue would be you know, incredibly valuable and, and powerful. So, yeah, we'd fully endorse, um, you know, the likes of, of what Warren and Craig's firms do and, and many of our firms do do. Um, so, yeah, fully supportive. OK. And is this I mean, is this some kind of you, you already kind of seem to suggest that you feel almost obliged to, to give these kind of services to kind of give back, I suppose, or, you know, make sure people are better educated. But I mean, is, is it a business thing? Or is it literally a, a kind of feeling of, 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 of wanting to, to give back? Or, or what's in it for you, I suppose, um, Craig and, and Warren? Well, I, I can start by saying that, for me personally, it's a, a wish, a desire to want to give back. Um, anyone who's been in this profession now for 15, 20 years, are, have probably reflected back on a very, very good career. And for those of us who want to sit back on our rocking chair when we retire and say, you know, what did I do? What do I achieve? It's a nice thing to say that, okay, I earned a bit of money. I helped a few people, but I actually gave back and I contributed as well. Um, it's not about what we always get out of things. It's what we can give as well. So, you know, to build the whole profession as a whole, to help our colleagues, there's some wonderful financial planners working within the profession to raise the standards and improve the skills there 
I just personally decided to look out of the profession and to work with individuals on the outside to really raise the awareness of financial planning. I think it's one of the best kept secrets out there. And if we can get more people talking about financial planning, it helps everyone. Um, but one of your questions was, um, do we think we could build a career out of it? Do you know, if I had more time, Carmen, I'd love to. I think it's a fantastic opportunity to go out and just give financial education and coaching. Um, there are companies out there crying out for this type of work who will pay a speaker to go in and just educate their team, their staff on just good financial management or man managing money and the things, the way things work. Schools really want people to come in, do career talk, and also go in and talk about financial planning and money awareness. The youngest group of kids I think I spoke to are about 9, 10, just before they're going into secondary school. It's a real deprived London school. That was so rewarding um, and challenged me to change the way in which I spoke about money so it related to them, all the way through to sixth formers so they can manage their money through um, university and things like that. So, um, yeah, definitely as a career there um, if people want to go down the financial education route. And it, I wouldn't put it past the profession that we look back in 10 or so years and we say, we've got clients coming to us just for financial planning, no implementation. And then they go off elsewhere and they implement online. So that financial planning is quasi-financial education. So this could be the way things are developing going forward. And there's certainly a lot more people like the FT here talking about it and making sure that they raise the awareness of it. I think for us, Carmen, um, so we went through a journey about seven or eight years ago. I engaged with a, a process called Traction, the entrepreneurial operating system. And obviously there's a lot of buzz in our profession and other businesses about finding your why. And they talk, they call it the core focus in, in, in uh, Traction. And um, when I sat with my management team or level 10 team, as they call it, um, I was trying to work out what we could make the core focus of the business that wasn't related to profit. And as we talked around the table, we've set a target that by 2030, we want to have educated 10,000 people in the community. Currently, we're sat at about 4,800. And that doesn't mean we've got 10,000 clients for anyone listening. We're not trying to flog ourselves to death in that way, but I've helped 10,000 people. Now, we can only track certain things. I mean, obviously, I'll never know how many people potentially listen to this. Um, and obviously, this might not be for the end consumer, but um, we can track our podcast. We can see how many people download our books, our guides, how many people join a webinar, seminar. Um, yeah, and we're up to about 4,800 and something as of, uh, I think it was last Friday. So, yeah, for me, it was, you know, I made the business have a core focus. That although we've got to do this bit over here, let's let's make sure that we're doing all we can to to share education. And, and um, yeah, and I think um, if we can, if it helps people choose this as a career, then fantastic. We've won. Um, but if also we can just help everyone just make one more sensible decision to not waste money on this, that or the other, then, you know, that, that, that will help as well and hopefully change the world in our own little way. No, absolutely. Um, that that makes sense. Um, now, Chris, what's um what's your kind of view on on whether whether this is something that you know um that is you know that 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 you'd expect advisors to do, like all advisors to do, to kind of give back um to the community. I, th I think it's definitely something that you would hope um all good advice firms would do. I mean, I don't think you can force firms, and and uh, you know, you, there's got to be a sort of a a passion to do that. I think it's difficult when we start, um, you know, mandating things, not that we could mandate this, but, you know, I don't think you can necessarily go down that road. So I think a lot of the good firms um, and advisors are already doing things like this. So, um, you know, as I say, we would certainly, uh, you know, it, it, it's a it's a good thing to give back. There's a whole host of reasons why you would do that. But there has to be a sort of um, a desire and passion to do that. Otherwise, it's going to, 
it's not going to have the desired effect. Um, so that would be my perspective. But I think from the videos and, and guides that I see, um, you know, just from my sort of personal view on them, that you know, when they're when they're identifying and talking about a particular um, challenge or, or or question that families um, or individuals will be facing, um, getting people thinking about that particular problem and how they could manage that is is only a good thing. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I read one on LinkedIn this week, was which was talking about you know, should parents be funding their children through university? Is that smart use of money? Or whether or not, you know, they should take advantage of various grants and loans and, and whether it's a, you know, should be seen more as a tax on that individual rather than. Um, so so I think things like that, when they're talking about questions that families and parents will be thinking about is, is very valuable. Because if that then sparks them to go and talk to a financial planner, then then that's a that article was very well, um, you know, very successful in what it was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I, we keep kind of going back to the kind of younger generation, I find. And I found what you said, Warren, uh, very interesting as well about kind of splitting up the transactional kind of side of investing and the financial planning, um, which I guess is something that, again, reminds me of the younger generation. I mean, to what extent are you doing this to attract the younger generation? Is this the reason for for, for doing podcasts and things like that? And if it is, would you consider kind of going even further and perhaps opening a TikTok account or something that I really have a attracts? Account. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. I've just never TikToked on my account. It's always on my daughter's account. But um, um, presumably not to um, to not about financial education though, from your daughter's no, account. No, no, nothing. No, it's normally a silly dance or something along those lines. Um, so we genuinely, wholeheartedly, don't do it for a marketing perspective. Um, however. The knock-on effect of that does raise your profile. So we have had clients come to us because we've been on the TV, we've been on the radio, we've written the paper, stuff like that. So people see that and then they just link credibility to it. But that isn't the outcome that we've got. That's just a byproduct. The outcome for us genuinely wholeheartedly is just being to give impartial information and financial education to raise the awareness of financial planning around the UK. Now, Coincidentally, it typically does uh, lend itself to the younger audience, although I wouldn't say they were teens, um, but maybe in their 20s and 30s, it does lend themselves to the younger audience. Um, and I think that's perhaps because they might spend more time on social media. I've not looked at the demographics, so I wouldn't know, but um, I would imagine they're the ones who are watching YouTube and, and searching for podcasts and wanting to get on a little bit financially. But um, our outcome isn't is a marketing machine. And I'm, I'm sure the majority of mature, mature firms is the same. Um, but there is a brand awareness. It does raise your profile. So if you're sat there listening to this thinking, I've set up a financial planning firm, or I'm, I'm toying with the idea of becoming a financial planner, really wholeheartedly throw yourself into it. And look at this as a way of raising your profile and start with simple stuff, you know, you don't need to be an academic genius to start talking to people about how to manage their finances, how to manage their bank account, how to manage their spending, you know, prioritizing debt repayment, things like that. Things like that will raise your confidence and things like that will also raise your confidence so that you then feel happy going on to talk about more complex issues. Yeah, absolutely. Would you consider um, opening a TikTok or or, or perhaps um, kind of um, um, working with an influencer or something like this? Okay. Um, would I consider, 
I guess not working with an influencer because my outcome is to raise financial. I guess maybe, maybe if they, if they, if we did some sort of work together and things. Um, yeah, why not? That would be a good idea. If it, look, I've got one outcome, and that's to raise financial the awareness of financial planning. That's it. Um, I'm very fortunate. I've got Lexington, which is a great financial planning film, which I love, and I do this. Like I said, not to attract clients, but just to raise the awareness of it. The knock-on effect is that raises our profile. I would I would explore many things to do that, to be fair. So if it meant doing a TikTok account and working with an influencer, yeah, why not? It'd be good fun. Um, I can do it, but it's time. And that's why I say, you know, like Craig said, you know, there's there's so much opportunity here for so many people because most financial planners don't have a lot of time they can dedicate to it. So the more of us who can just contribute a little bit, keep, you know, like the article Chris mentioned, keep writing articles like that, doing a podcast, doing a YouTube, doing a TikTok video, I guess, is it? Um, all helps, really. Okay. What about you, Craig? Um, would you consider kind of something even more kind of modern, I suppose? I think from speaking to my kids about the influence on TikTok and hearing them that they're constantly promoting crypto, which, you know, the sooner that dies its death, the better. I think that's dangerous. Um, I think, you know, the cynical person in me immediately thinks that if they're promoting something, it's because of what they're getting at the back end rather than whether they genuinely believe in the cause. So I think personally from my limited experience i'd stay away from something like tiktok but i believe we're on facebook i believe we're on um insta couldn't tell you personally but that's what the team tell me we're doing um but going back to your original question about um, helping the kids i think i agree with warren in the sense that you know maybe that's not the ideal client for the average financial planning firm unless you've got youngsters coming through your business who want to target that which which we have we've taken uh, three kids straight sorry I shouldn't call them kids three young adults straight from university um, who are under the age of 25 and they want to work with younger business owners. So some of our messages directly targeted to them. But I think some of the stuff we do, like our next generation workshop, like our trustee integration meetings where we have families together when we're dealing with the older clients and bringing the children in to educate them on how to inherit, how to be, be a trustee, how to be an executor. Um, I think part of it is to keep, if Penguin's going to be here in 50 years' time, it's to make sure the family wealth stays there. But I think it's also that education so that, you know, the first, you know, I quite often say to people, the first time we meet you isn't after mum and dad have just passed, because um, what a horrible first meeting that would be to suddenly be told what they're going to inherit. So I think it can be commercially beneficial, but if they then take that out to the community, then, you know, all, all's better for everyone, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chris, uh, now actually, in fact, Craig, you've mentioned crypto, and, and that's a very good point. There is this kind of stuff out there. And perhaps does that create an even bigger need for the kind of antidote almost, you know, the kind of more legitimate kind of voices out there and um, to take people away from, you know, trusting the, the, the more dodgy stuff. And um, what do you, what do you think, Chris, does the CISI want to see more advisors kind of branch out on social media and do them kind of TikToks, FinTokers? I think, you know, um, attracting sort of new clients and, and servicing the next generation of clients is ultimately a good thing. But I totally hear what Craig's saying about, um, you know, dangerous messaging on things like crypto. So it has to be done in, in moderation, certainly. Um, but uh, yeah, with, with, with um, I suppose with Instagram and, and, and the way that the younger generation and the future, future generation, the way that they want to sort of be um, interacted with is different from, you know, current high net worth private clients. So, you know, looking at businesses and whether they want to be around in 15, 20, 30 years time, then if that is the case, then it's probably something that they ha they have to be doing. 
rather than relying on you know wealth cascading down through their existing sort of family relationship so i think there's a there's a piece for firms to think about in terms of the type of business that they are um but but ultimately i think innovating and um you know giving back and attracting the young generation um should be should be uh, should be explored where possible yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And I think the pressure really needs to go onto the software providers to give us the integration with our back office systems to do that. Because I'll get um, direct messages via social media and things. And then I, in the, you know, I have to copy it, email it to myself so I can record it on my back office system, things like that. It's still a bit clunky. So we really need innovation there to develop it. Um, innovation to jump a scale. Like we're trialing at the moment VR meetings, virtual reality meetings. So putting the Oculus headsets on, having a meeting with a client, it's not full-blown at the moment. It's still in the trial stage. But this is the kind of thing that planners need to be thinking of if they want a practice that's going to last decades um, and going through the next generation. Because the next generation most likely not want to come, unlikely want to come into your office and sit down and start looking at a TV screen that shares your cash flow forecast and things. They're going to want a bit more interaction. They want to do things um, using newer technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'd, I'd also like to talk a little bit about the risk that there might be in kind of going above and beyond what you know the regulator thinks you should be doing. Obviously, giving education, surely the FCA will have nothing against that. But is, there, is, is the regulatory environment supportive of um, doing more than just you know what, what it says in the, in the regulatory handbook? I think so. I think, you know, at the end of the day, the regulator doesn't like these crypto providers being out there selling the ways of cryptocurrency and trading things and in the high risk. And then when they've got a regulated financial planner giving sound, solid financial information and education, they've got to be behind that. There's no real risk behind that. Um, and in all the years I've written and in, in done podcasts and things like that now, I've never really come across anything that's been um, risky uh, for my firm. And I kind of liken it to people when when you know other planners sort of say to me, how do you get around this? It's almost like a conversation you have with your friend. If you have a conversation with friends, you don't go down to the specific detail and recommend a specific product. You talk generically and generally about guidance, information, what they can do. And that's exactly the same way as you talk to the podcast. Yeah, for me, Carmen, I mean, I think uh, ultimately our regulator only re- regulates product. They still haven't worked out how to regulate planning. Um, I think as long as you're having conversations and you're not, leading at the end to please go and buy this x amount of fund and put this x amount into your eyes so i don't see how you step over the line i think unfortunately because of the way compliance maybe works in our profession there might be some compliance auditors who think you can't say anything just because they're they're thinking of the worst case scenario if someone acts without without getting proper advice i think from all the stuff i listen to from warren from your pete matthews randy hearts i mean it is just conversational stuff and and talking conceptual and again the more of us that can do that then you know, um, it can only help. Uh, can only help more people. Yeah, definitely. Um, Chris, are you? Are you? Have you got a view on this? Are you kind of concerned about any aspects of this at all when it comes to the regulatory environment? I think. Well, I, I think really what Warren and Craig has said is absolutely right. I mean, I, I think you know most firms and individuals will be providing um, you know generic information, useful information. But they're not getting down to the specifics. I mean, I, I've come across one or two examples where websites have sort of, you know, ask a financial planner a question, and the questions that are posed are quite specific to that individual. Um, you know, numerical values are used, and, and and I think I've I've seen some financial planners being a little bit hesitant to 
be involved with some of those Q and A um, type um, websites purely for the fact that to answer the question, you know, it's not you're not able to answer the question in a lot of the cases because there's missing information and things. So I, I have seen some financial planners being slightly nervous about being involved with those Q and A facilities, but I think if it's just general information, signposting people to good, valuable resources, then then there shouldn't really be too much of an issue. Okay, that's good to know, I suppose, especially for our listeners. Um, now, I'd like to finish off by just um, talking a little bit about the consumer duty. Um, it's obviously a massive piece of regulation that's coming um, your way. <laughs> and um, it will very much ask firms to provide a good service to their clients, the best service, and the client, and the kind of service that the clients can expect from, from an advice firm. What effect will that have on kind of, you know, giving the extra service, going the extra mile, you know, giving your clients more than than just um, what you might ordinarily be be giving. Any effect at all, Warren? I think as a financial planning firm, if you're delivering the six-step process, if you are acting as a financial planner with your client's best interest at heart, the additional sort of um, consumer duty, the TCF initiative, they're really things that we're already doing. Um, they're nice to revisit, to make sure we're revisiting and we're looking at what we're doing and ask questions, can we improve what we're doing? How can this be bettered? But true financial planning is delivering a financial education in a process and an outcome for the individual. We're not starting with the product in mind. We're starting with the individual. You know, How do you want to live the rest of your life? And we start looking at the individual and start mapping that financial roadmap out so that they can achieve their objectives. So we're... we're I think most, if not all, financial planners should really be meeting the requirements of this already. Um, and that's, you know, in line part thanks to those guys who sat down all those decades ago and wrote down the six steps of the financial planning process. Yeah, I think for me, Carmen, this is almost, um, you know, the horse has already bolted. You know, this was stuff that was maybe needed in writing 15 years ago, but I think through the good work of, of RDR, TCF, the, the, the people out there who've been talking about what to deliver you to your client through the six-step process. And I think more importantly, what the consumer duty might be after is about what happens post-boarding a client, which I think, you know, many of us have been including many touch points, educational pieces, um, you know, regular reviews, um, forward planning meetings, whatever people call them. I think I, as I read through this stuff myself, I was thinking, well, there's no change here for us. And I was thinking of, of my many friends in the CISI and, and beyond thinking this won't affect most businesses. There might be some out there who may still be dinosaurs but i can't remember the last time i saw one um except when i watched jurassic park last week um so yeah i'm not i'm not expecting it uh, I, I don't expect it to affect most of the of the proper films okay. and i think i think just from my perspective yeah. carmen just um you know completely agree with what craig and warren have just said there i i think Craig's right that, that it, you know, for the majority of firms, um, you know, good quality financial planning businesses, you know, the, the impact would be very limited. It's perhaps a case of the regulator trying to bring the whole, you know, the whole profession to the same level. Um, RDR very much focused on technical expertise and, and knowledge um, and, and, and having that sort of benchmark qualification. This is perhaps the next step about, you know, ensuring everyone is, is, is using that, that knowledge um, effectively um, and ultimately making sure that clients have better outcomes. So, um, that would be be my sort of take on it. Yeah, sure. And Chris, what's your parting message to um, advisors who might be listening um, to this podcast and might not be running their own podcast yet or, you know, doing anything to educate um, the masses? 
so the, for, for me, the, the parting message would be, um, you know, I think after listening to this podcast, you probably would have heard some of the some of the benefits um, of doing you know podcasts and writing articles, as Craig and Warren have mentioned. Um, I couldn't get away without mentioning Financial Planning Week, which is a initiative that we run each October. Um, and the whole purpose of Financial Planning Week at the CISI is to get people and the public thinking about their finances. Um, you know, typically, as we've mentioned, you know, people who are working with a financial planner are you know, they tend to be um, fairly affluent. Um, I'm stereotyping, but that tends to be the, you know, the main audience. So the whole purpose is about giving back. And that's really where Financial Planning Week can come in, whether that's giving a, a free sort of one-to-one surgery with a client in, in, or a, um, a potential client, sitting down with them and talking through their particular situation, or whether that's just writing an article about something which is, is relevant to them. Um, so absolutely, we would, uh, you know, endorse that. And Financial Planning Week this year will take place in early October. We're just waiting for a final final confirmation on the exact date, but um, it's likely to be the first full week of October. Okay, well, thank you. Well, that seems like a, a good place to end, I suppose. Um, thank you very, very much to our guests. Um, it's really good to talk to you and hear a bit more about your motivations and businesses and your absolutely fantastic endeavours to give back to, um, you know, everyone, I suppose, in this country. Um, and to our listeners, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you found it useful and inspiring. And I hope many of you, many more of you will reach out um, in, in these ways um, in the future. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.